Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, August 23rd, we're studying Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 to 66. The central lament in the book of Lamentations concludes with a confession of Judah's sin and a prayer for deliverance from the Lord in confidence that he hears and rescues his people from their enemies. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thank you. It's good to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little bit of context. We're at the end of Lamentations 3. Really, the whole chapter goes together as a unit, so we need to think about what we've already read in chapter 3. And anything else that will help us with the book of Lamentations as a whole, its historical context, as we prepare to look at our text today? Well, uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, includes this introduction to the to the book of Lamentations. It says, And it came to pass, after Israel was led into captivity, and Jerusalem laid waste, that Jer- Jeremiah sat weeping and lamenting with this lamentation over Jerusalem, and said. So the context of the, the book of Lamentations would be around the year 588, when King Zedekiah and Jerusalem is taken captive to Babylon, as Jeremiah had been prophesying for a long time. And then Jeremiah is left behind, and uh, you can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 39 and 40. Uh, and so what we have here are, are five chapters, and they're five songs or poems. So each, the overarching subject matter is a lament over Jerusalem, and it's a call to repentance. In chapter 3, Jeremiah gets particularly personal. And he, uh, he says, like he, he begins, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. So he talks about his own flesh and skin wasting away and his bones being broken. All this is in the, uh, uh, is in the first person singular. I and me and my uh, is what he's talking about. Uh, he he talks about being driven uh, away, having his kidneys pierced, having his teeth grind in gravel. Um, he talks about God not listening to his prayers and shedding his prayers away. So it's a very personal prayer. Uh, but then, and this is very important because with all these lamentations, his goal is to bring Jeremiah, or not, I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah's goal is to bring Jerusalem to repentance, to realization of her own sins, so that she can see the mercy of God and to trust in God's mercy. Well, in verse 19, he says, uh, or, uh, he, or verse 21, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Uh, so he, he, he expresses his great hope in the Lord that he will actually remember him and remember his prayers. So instead of just complaining and moaning, uh, turn to the Lord and trust in him. Uh, furthermore, in uh, verse 31, he says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So this is, uh, throughout Lamentations, this is kind of like that, that um, there, there's that presence of the Lord's mercy. This isn't just simply lamenting for the sake of lamenting and saying, oh, all is lost. But the point is to bring true repentance. Well, what's the point in repentance if there's no mercy? Uh, so that's a, a, an important thing to understand. Re- true repentance, uh, complete repentance, involves faith in Christ, faith in God's mercy and forgiveness. So Jeremiah does not neglect that in the book of, of Lamentation. So we're beginning in verse 40. Uh, I, I just read 31, 32. And then 33, he says, For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. That's another important passage pointing out that the uh, that all of this, there's a purpose to all of this. So pretty much saying to Jerusalem, wake up. Why why is this happening? This isn't just happening because God delights in in harming you. Uh, he says, uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, he, he asks three questions in verse 37 through 38 through 39. He says, who has spoken? And it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. So all of this suffering is the Lord's doing. Well, that should make you pause and think. Verse 38, is it not the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? So what he does with these three questions is saying, okay, instead of just complaining, woe is me, woe is me, why are you suffering so? And this brings out in the next uh, few verses, uh, Jeremiah says, well, let us examine our ways and return to the Lord. And then he, he points out that the, the guilt belongs to us. We have sinned against the Lord, and justice belongs to God. God has only done what is right. Uh, so, he, uh, so what you guys went through before in the first half of uh, Lamentation chapter 3 uh, was uh, a really good setup for what we're going through now, in that uh, what they're suffering has a purpose. And it sets up Jeremiah to pretty much teach the people of Jerusalem, the, the, the remnant that has been left behind, uh, how to repent, how to examine yourself, and to turn to the Lord. And I think I mean, that's a very helpful introduction, Pastor Preuss. And, and to reiterate that the, the section that's there in the middle that holds before us the steadfast love of the Lord, his never-ending mercy, that really sets the stage for what we're going to read here. The repentance that, that is brought about has that mercy as a, as a foundation, that, that in returning to the Lord, they're looking for his mercy. And I mean, I think in, in that way, you know, the, the very first section that we did of this chapter was 1 to 18, where it's, it's all about, you know, I mean, what the Lord has done in afflicting 
the man, you know, I am the man who's seen this affliction. The mercy was the turning point. And now we come back to some of those afflictions, but it's done in view of that mercy. And you really see the the character, I think, of, of this middle lamentation, this middle poem change with, with that foundation in place. And so with that, let, let's read, let's read the text. We're in Lamentations 3, beginning at verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who are my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. That's our text for today. That's Lamentations 3, verses 40 to 66. So, Pastor Price, let's talk about those first couple of verses, where, as you said, Jeremiah has set the stage with these questions in 37 through 39, and now it's time to, as he says in verse 40, test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. What's what's Jeremiah doing in those first couple of verses? Well, what he's saying is, what's the point in just complaining uh, without, without examining yourself? So, so instead of just having a grum grumbling and sinful spirit, let's examine our our own conduct. And this is done actually in a, in very much in, in faith. He says, and return to the Lord. So this, uh, this that is the objective right here. He, he's kind of giving away the ending. Uh, let's examine our ways. Like, why is this happening? Well, it's so that we return to the Lord. And it's, it's, it's our own fault. Let's lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So I mean, this, when you contrast it with some of the things that he says earlier, it's kind of interesting when you look at the first half of this, where he talks about God shutting out his prayers. He even says in, in verse 18, so uh, 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 my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. And then, of course, later on, he starts, you know, almost immediately afterward, he starts talking about uh, about his hope. Uh, so it kind of shows the, uh, not to, you know, anything about schizophrenia, but it's kind of the schizophrenic in the sense of like, you know, that, that schizo, that, you know, that Greek word, a divided um, personality in the, uh, with the Christian, that he, struggling with his sin, is uh, terrified of the Lord, and yet, what does the, the person who is 
who realizes his sin do, he calls out to the Lord. So the Lord, whom he should fear because of his sin, he doesn't flee from, but rather he goes toward him. Uh, it's, it's like uh, Psalm 51, where he says, you know, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, you know, that's all over the Psalms. Like, be not far from me. You know, do not close your ears to me. You know, look upon me. This is how we speak. So uh, a, a sinner who has no hope in the gospel uh, is going to look at his sins and then say, like what St. Peter said to Jesus uh, with the great catch of fish, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He's going to flee from God and hide and say, well, I, you know, be like Jonah and, 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 and run away. Uh, but when you have the knowledge of the gospel and you know that God is actually merciful and you see your sin, you run to God, you flee to him, you lift up your hands to him and cry out to him. It's, uh, you're reaching for him. You don't want him to leave you in your sin. You don't want him to, uh, to abandon you. Uh, 42, we have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. Now, this might make us Lutherans uncomfortable because, you know, we, we confess from Psalm 32 in our liturgy, you know, I, I said I would confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, there's a distinction here. It's kind of like when uh, God is speaking to Moses with, with the golden calf, and he says, you know, but those who have transgressed, those who have sinned, I will, or, or who, how does he say, he says, but I will by no means um, uh, pardon the, the guilty. Uh, he's not saying that he's going to condemn all sinners, but rather those who do not repent of their sins. And you kind of have to know the context of all Scripture to, to fill that in. But anyway, what he's saying in 42, and he says, we have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. He's not saying that God does not forgive sins. But rather, God did what was just. He didn't just overlook these sins. Uh, God is a just God. Uh, and this is a very important distinction that we have to make today, because the false gospel that is being proclaimed in many uh, mainline Christian denominations and mainline Lutheran denominations uh, is that uh, God just doesn't care about your sins. God's a forgiving God, so he's okay with, you know, fornication and homosexuality and blasphemy and, um, you know, all, all sorts of different types of, of, you know, idolatry and all the things that people are, are uh, claiming that God is for now. Uh, no, uh, we have transgressed and rebelled, and he does not forgive uh, un unless, um, unless you repent. Uh, not that Christ has not won forgiveness for all people, but how did he do that? He did that by suffering on the cross for our sins. So what he's saying by this is that God is a just God who doesn't just simply overlook sin uh, because he doesn't care about it. Uh, that's why he sent Jesus to die for our sins, because sin is actually a big deal. It angers him justly. And that's one of the reasons we know that he is such a good God, that he is angered by wickedness. Uh, you have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity, uh, very much the same thing as uh, 42 pointing out that all that they have suffered, all that he has been lamenting about is uh, God has every right to do it. It's his prerogative to punish, and it's their fault. Uh, 45, you have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. Now, that's an interesting one, too, because he says among the peoples. And you might think, well, the peoples, 
weren't all the other peoples being terrible too? Well, yeah, they were. And you even see that with Babylon. Babylon is terrible, right? You know, blessed, even that uh, um, prophecy that says, blessed are, will be those who dash your little ones against the wall, because Babylon did that to the people of Israel. They were evil. But why does he say uh, you've made us scum and garbage among the peoples? was because this was God's chosen people. They had God. They had the temple. They had the covenant. They had the prophets. And yet they uh, rejected him. I don't know how many verses you want. Was it just the first five verses you want me to go through? No, that, that's, that's a good place to stop. I actually want to come back up toward the, the beginning of that section. Uh, and when you were talking about, you know, the like a sinner who has no hope in the gospel can only flee from God. And it's only when we have the gospel that we would go to God in the way that's given there in those first couple of verses. One of the things that, that struck me one of the last times actually I was reading through this in preparation for our conversation, I read through it several times and I didn't notice it until again, one of the last times in verse 41, it says, let us lift up our hearts. And it, it struck me. We say that in the liturgy, in the preface before communion, let us lift up our hearts. And I'd I'd never connected that verse with the book of Lamentations. And listening to what you're, you're you've been saying about that, I think it fits. But I was I was curious on your thoughts on how the context that we've got that language here in the book of Lamentations might influence the way that we use that response in the liturgy. Yeah, I think uh, I think that uh, is a good is a good connection to make. Um, and this makes sense for for a couple of reasons. One, Jeremiah comes from a priestly family, uh, which we've discussed before, um, and also uh, he ministers to Jerusalem. Of course, what's the biggest and the most important thing in Jerusalem is the temple with the priests and the Levites. And also, Jer- uh, Jeremiah does a lot of preaching to the uh, to the priests themselves. So it makes sense that he would have this liturgical language. I think it very much is liturgical language. But it also, again, it goes back to that whole idea that Christians and, and the people of, of Israel, you know, be, before us, uh, were not the people of Israel and are not Christians because they are without sin. But we are sinners who go before a holy God uh, whom we do not deserve. And then again, what does it mean to lift up your hearts? Um, I mean, this is figurative language, isn't it? And I think when we're talking about the heart, uh, we always have to be thinking about faith. Uh, so when you come to worship, it's pretty much saying, it's like, hey, this isn't just simply uh, robotic, you know, movements that you're doing. Um, this is lift up, don't just lift up your hands, lift up your heart. Uh, it's kind of like when he says, you know, let my prayer rise before you, it's evening uh, uh, sacrifice. You know, we have the idea of this incense rising up, and we want our prayers to rise up too. Well, it's not just simply the incense, the smoke of the incense going up and the smoke of the sacrifice going up. It's not just our hands going up and, you know, doing all the, the motions and having the smells and the bells, but our hearts must go up, our prayers must go up. So I think the, the point of this is that Worship, I think having liturgical worship is good and important, and that is what we have inherited not only from uh, the, the Lutherans the past 500 years and the Christian Church the past 2,000 years, but from the very, very beginning. Uh, there have never been a people of God who have not worshipped liturgically 
uh, and liturgical worship cannot be divorced from faith. Uh, otherwise, it, otherwise, you're just doing what the pagans do. And I think that's why seeing this language in the Book of Lamentations is so helpful, so that you know when we speak that on a Sunday morning in the divine service, you know we lift our hearts up to the Lord. That it's not just repeating it for the sake of repeating it, but in a spirit that we see in the Book of Lamentations, that we come before the Lord as sinners, but we do so because we know He's He's going to be merciful to us, and we have that hope, in particular as we prepare to receive the body and blood of Jesus in the, in the Holy Sacrament, that, that we go in repentant faith, knowing that God is going to be merciful to us. And I, that's why, I mean, it just stuck out to me that that language that we use in our worship still is there in, in the book of Lamentations of all places. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to see how the scriptures influence the way that we speak to each other in church. It's such a, a marvelous thing. Pastor Price, as the, as the text continues, you, you mentioned in verse 45 this matter of you know, the people are or the people of Judah are scum and garbage among the peoples. And then it transitions in verse 46 to speaking about all of our enemies. So Jeremiah has been talking about the just punishment that the people have received from the Lord. And now it sounds like in the next several verses, like 46 through 51, he's moving back to reflect again upon the destruction of Jerusalem and the enemies that brought it upon them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a very interesting thing. I mean, we, Cyrus is kind of the uh, uh, textbook example of this pagan who does the will of God by, uh, by having the temple rebuilt and you know, fixing Jerusalem and such. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar, too. I mean, he, he is doing the will of the Lord. And yet we see Nebuchadnezzar as a brute. And even before uh, Bab- uh, Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed Jerusalem and brought uh, Jerusalem, uh, the, the people of Jerusalem to Babylon, it's already prophesied that this will come to an end and that God will destroy Jerusalem. Already at the, you know, at the end of the book of Jeremiah, he is speaking against Babylon and, uh, and the violence that they have done, saying that there's going to be utter destruction of Babylon. Uh, in the book of Lamentations, you have it speaking against uh, uh, Edom, the, uh, you know, the brother of, of uh, Jacob. You know, Edom is Esau, the descendants of Esau. Because what did they do? Well, they rejoiced at the destruction of Israel. So God uses these evil people to do his, his will, which is to punish uh, Jerusalem. But he, doesn't, he also doesn't hold them guiltless uh, for the evil that they have done. Uh, and uh, uh, so I think that's one thing to, kind of to, to, to see, that these are, uh, these, these are evil things that they're doing. Uh, the other thing is I think there's such a strong connection here uh, with how Jesus weeps over Jerusalem uh, in, uh, you know, from, from Luke chapter uh, 19 and, and uh, its parallels. But you have him weeping. He says his eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Again, the, the distinction from the peoples, you know, the, the surrounding nations that helped Babylon fight against Jerusalem. Um, but he, he is a rivers of tears because the daughters of his people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. Uh, I mean, it's like Jesus weeping 
because they did not know for the things that made for peace. They did not know the time of their visitation and how their enemies will hem them in from all around, say, up a barricade, and that one will tear them down, them and their daughters, or them and their children with them. Uh, so it's very much, Jeremiah has very much the same uh, spirit as Jesus in this sense. Uh, he is lamenting this, the impenitence and sin of Jerusalem, uh, this city that has received God's grace, and yet they have rejected it. And uh, I think it's I think it very much it's a foreshadowing of it. Uh, Jesus speaks a lot about, or alludes a lot to Jer- Jeremiah. He speaks very much like Jeremiah uh, when he speaks against Jerusalem and the chief priests and the Pharisees. Um, and uh, you know when he talks about how you killed the prophets, how you abused the prophets. You think about the parable of the vineyard and they, sending all, the king sends all these servants and the servants keep on getting beaten and killed. And then the sun goes, and the same thing happens to him. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, Jeremiah very much foreshadows Christ in this. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. And and we see here in, in Lamentations 3 how even though Jeremiah at this moment is, is you know, his eyes flowing without ceasing, no respite, there is a, a bit of hope there in verses 50 and 51 that the Lord will look from heaven and see, and, and and we're going to see as the as the text continues how that does come to pass that the Lord does prove Himself faithful when His people call upon His name. And I think we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Lamentations chapter three with Pastor James Price. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 23rd. We're studying Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 to 66 with Pastor James Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we made it through verse 51. In verse 52, Jeremiah says, I've been hunted like a bird by those who are enemies without my cause. They flung me alive into the pit. They cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. As Jeremiah continues in this lamentation, a lot of that sounds an awful lot like what actually happened to him that we read about in the book of Jeremiah previously. Yes, absolutely. Um, in, in Jeremiah, I thought I had a, a bookmark for that. In Jeremiah chapter 38, uh, so what happens is Jeremiah is preaching against uh, against Jerusalem, I suppose. And he is saying that Babylon is going to come and they're going to win. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, Babylon is going to take over Jer- uh, Jerusalem. So what he's saying is that those who give themselves up are going to have their life as a war prize. Uh, they're going to survive if they give themselves up. And uh, at this point, Jeremiah has already been imprisoned uh, before saying this. Uh, first, he was put into the, the 
the house of uh, of this who who was it that he was thrown into the, the house of the secretary I think it was he's thrown into the house of the secretary and then uh, he pleads he speaks to the king because the king still recognizes that King Zedekiah recognizes that he's a a prophet so he comes and talks to him and Jeremiah pleads saying you know please don't send me back to the house of the of Jonathan the secretary or I'll, I'm going to die so Zedekiah is kind of an interesting thing I mean, Zedekiah is a bad king he's a wicked king. But he does kind of show these instances of a little bit of compassion toward Jeremiah, a little bit of sympathy. Uh, one that he actually calls Jeremiah, and he kind of, you know, recognizes, I don't like what he says, but it seems that he does say things that, that are happening. So he kind of listens to what he, he says, but then he doesn't treat it well. Um, but he, but, he, Jer, uh, but uh, Zedekiah actually does grant his request, and he moves him to the, the court of the guard and gives them a, a ration of bread. But, of course, Zedekiah is still a bad king. So then you have all these officers come, and they are, they're upset that Jeremiah has been preaching these things. Uh, they're saying that it's destroying morale. Like, the soldiers aren't, don't want to fight when Jeremiah is saying that those who give themselves up are the ones who are going to survive, and everyone else is going to be you know, either killed or taken as prisoners to, uh, to Babylon. So, um, so they're able to, to persuade Zedekiah to throw him into this cistern, and the cistern doesn't have any water left in it, so he ends up just sinking into the mud. So I guess that's what he was saying when he says that the water has come over me. You can kind of imagine him being thrown into this old, muddy cistern, and like just the muddy water that's not good for drinking has just kind of splashed over him. Then he says rocks are thrown on him, so you can kind of see them throwing rocks at him after that, and then they put the, the lid over there, and he's just sitting there in the darkness. Uh, and then it's, it's interesting again that we were talking. We've been talking a lot about the people, uh, the, the Jerusalem being a people, and then you have the peoples. So it's like the the, the nation of, of Israel, uh, the God's chosen people. And then you have the Gentiles. Well, it's it's actually a Gentile, an Ethiopian, Abed Melech, who is a eunuch in the king's house, uh, who sees that this is done and said, "Well, this is evil." So he's the one who then goes to, to King Zedekiah, and again. King Zedekiah has this, you know, these instances of compassion, and he actually listens to the Ethiopian who says, you know, this is wrong, and Jeremiah is going to starve to death there uh, and die in this pit. So uh, King Zedekiah gives the Ethiopian the command to have 30 men pull Jeremiah up. So they use these torn uh, cloths and rags, and they put them under his armpits, and they pull, they pull him out. And then he continues to, to prophesy. Uh, so that's the story. It's, it's a short story. It doesn't uh, take too long to tell uh, or to read. Uh, but here you you do kind of, you do see you know this was a tremendous thing that happened though a very stressful thing that happened. Uh, and he thought he was going to die. He didn't know that Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, saw this and was going to go and speak on his behalf. Uh, Jeremiah was is thinking, well, I'm just going to die here. Um, uh, and uh, uh, being thrown into a pit, too. I mean, this is, uh, it reminds you of that Hebrew word, Sheol. And Sheol, you know, it's, some people translate it as hell or the, the uh, land of the dead. Um, it's kind of a, it, it isn't used the same way as, as in, in the New Testament when we talk about, you know, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Uh, Sheol, you'll even have the patriarchs talking about going to Sheol. But Sheol is almost always spoken of like going down to Sheol. So you're in the ground, you're in the pit. 
so you do have that sense too that Jeremiah is in this pit. He's in Sheol. It's it's as if he's already dead, uh, and from death, uh, from Sheol, he cries out to the Lord. Uh, and uh, and you have a lot of other uh, parallels of that in in Scripture too. I don't know if you want me to to go in there if you had something to. To comment on, on well, just just to say, I mean, so so we we see a picture of what's happened to Jeremiah, and again, you, you see that very personal nature. I, I guess the the question that, that comes to my mind, and maybe this as you go forward into thinking of the parallels, and I think particularly how this points us to Jesus later. Why why is he bringing this up here? What's what's the purpose of now? I mean, he's been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, their just punishment. We've heard their repentance. Why Why is he talking about, or how does his own suffering fit into that? Well, that's a good question, and I think there are a couple of things there. One is that Jer- uh, Jeremiah is part of it. Uh, this isn't just him saying, hey, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. When is it going to happen? Oh, we don't know. And then it ends up happening after the, the prophet is dead. Uh, this is something that Jeremiah has actually experienced. He is part of uh, the, the suffering of, of, Jer- of Jerusalem, and not just in the, the suffering of it, as you heard about in the earlier parts of this chapter, but why Jerusalem is suffering. Jerusalem is suffering because it didn't listen to their prophets, uh, and uh, Jeremiah is there uh, telling them to repent before all of this happens to them, and this is this is just pretty much the epitome of how they treated him and all the other prophets. We don't want to listen to you anymore, so we're going to stick you in a hole. Um, I think it also shows that you have these the, you have the righteous who are suffering with the with the evil. Um, I mean, you, you also see that, like you know, take Zedekiah gets his eyes gouged out. Yeah, that's terrible. And his sons were killed in front of his eyes before he you know plucked out. But then he gets taken to, to Babylon, and then you have you know. Uh, Jehoiakim brought brought out to to Babylon. You have these bad kings brought out, these bad people brought out to Babylon. Uh, but you also have Daniel and the other three men who were thrown into the fiery furnace. They were out to Babylon too. They're good men. You have Ezekiel. I mean, you have good, uh, faithful men who are suffering uh, in for actually not doing wrong. And I think that's something we can also um, relate to as Christians of. God does discipline us, and he disciplines our nation. And uh, we, I think we can see this uh, as Americans. Uh, we live in a nation that kills babies by the millions uh, for, 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 you know, just for the sake of sexual immorality. Uh, we have a nation that, uh, that says God is wrong when he said that he created the male and female, that promotes you know, uh, every, every sexually immoral act a nation that is addicted to pornography and to pleasure and to all sorts of, of uncleanness that has emptied the churches and won't, and won't return. Uh, and it's going to suffer for that. I mean, America is going to suffer for the evil that it's, that it's done. I mean, not to sound like some you know, latter-day prophet uh, uh, going, going beyond uh, what God gives you to speak, but this is what Scripture says. And there are going to be Christians who are going to be suffering with it. Uh, and uh, how do you how do you deal with that? Well, what did Jeremiah do? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Um, so I think those are the things. Uh, one is to show how personal this is with 
Jeremiah. He is suffering right there with Jerusalem, and also he is one of the reasons why they're suffering, because they rejected him personally as one of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And then also, how do the righteous, how do those who did not participate in these evils, but who are going to be enduring uh, the, uh, the discipline of the Lord, how do they respond to it? Uh, well, they, they cry out to the Lord, they pray to him, and they know that this earth is not their inheritance, uh, but rather their inheritance is in heaven. I think that last point particularly is going to be very applicable as we continue in the text and and we'll need some more reflection as we go forward. Before we do that, though, in this section, you mentioned, Pastor Preuss, that what Jeremiah experiences, there are a lot of parallels in Scripture. And I think those are ultimately going to point us forward to Jesus. So what what other examples do we need to see? Well, the first thing that I thought of when I was reading this was Jonah. And that's because the first line in Jonah chapter 2, everyone knows the story about Jonah uh, in the first chapter that he's, he runs away, uh, there's a great storm, he admits that the storm is because of him, because he runs away from the Lord, the Lord told him to go to Nineveh, so he gets thrown into the sea, and then a fish, a great fish swallows him. So then, the, the story's not ended there, uh, Jonah survives, he's alive in the belly of the fish, and Jonah 2, he, he uh, says that Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And there are other, there are other uh, parallels, too. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves uh, and your billows passed over me. Well, that sounds so similar to, you know, uh, they flung me alive into the pit and cast a stone, stone on me, you know, pit, Sheol, as I was saying before. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. So, uh, talk about the depths of the pit. But then he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit, and you heard me, my plea, uh, do not close your ear to my cry for help. So Jeremiah has very much the same prayer to the Lord in the cistern as Jonah does in the pit of, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, as Jonah does in the belly of, of the, the great fish. The other Old Testament uh, parallel is King David. So uh, David in First Samuel chapter 22, he's fleeing from Saul. Uh, this is where there's uh, no more I'm playing around about it. Saul is trying to kill David, and David flees, and he goes to the cave of Adullam, and that's where his father and his brothers go and visit him. And then everyone who pretty much is disenfranchised, who is hated, who's in debt, uh, who, you know, for whatever reason, has fallen out of favor of Saul, uh, comes and gathers, and he ends up, uh, at that time, I mean, it grows to, to more, but at that time you have 400 men who are with them. So it seems like a great, really big group. I kind of like to go and visit these caves and see how big they are in real life. But he, uh, but even with all those people, he feels alone. He's in a cave. And again, as I was talking about before, there is a uh, connection here in Scripture of caves uh, being under the, the earth, uh, you know, a cistern, uh, and... Sheol, the land of the dead, and being cast out of the land of the living. Uh, and uh, there are a couple of uh, psalms that David prays in that uh, in that cave, uh, both Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. But again, he puts his trust in, in the Lord. So he says, be merciful to me, O God, uh, is from Psalm 57, uh, be merciful to me, 
For in your, you, my soul, takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. To the storms of destruction uh, pass by. Uh, he talks about how they have dug a pit for me, but it's they who have fallen in, uh, into it themselves. And that kind of connects with what Jeremiah says in Lamentations, actually after what we were just reading, where he talks about how they will be cursed. Um, he, he, but he, he puts his trust in the, the Lord who is in the heavens. So verse 5 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So in this terrible situation, he still puts his trust in the Lord, that he still rules over heaven, and that he's going to rescue him. Again, verse uh, uh, chapter 142 says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him, I tell my troubles before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So again, in contrast to being in Sheol. So Jonah says that he's in the depths of Sheol, you know, and then all these caves and cisterns uh, would then, you know, should remind you of Sheol. But he said, no, but the Lord is my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. Uh, the righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So both of the, all of these prayers... Not only are they crying out to God, who alone can help them, but they also give confidence that God will actually rescue them. And then all of these Old Testament parallels point to Jesus Christ himself, who, of course, is uh, killed on the cross, and he's laid in a tomb. Again, buried in the earth, the earth being, uh, uh, you know, the, the representing Sheol, the land of the dead. And, uh, of course, Christ cries from the cross, he prays to the Lord, and all of these prayers of lament from David in the Psalms, and from Lamentations here, and, uh, and from Jonah, uh, they're all, uh, I mean, these are, these are things that I, I believe Jesus himself prayed, uh, knowing that he would be in the tomb, and he prayed before he went to the tomb, and the Lord did hear his prayer, and he, uh, and Jesus gave up his spirit uh, to the hands of his heavenly Father, and he was raised up and and rescued. So the fact that Jeremiah is pulled out of the cistern, that Jonah was, is vomited up by the way, by the fish, uh, and that David does you know escape from the cave and eventually becomes king, these are all signs that Jesus would rise from the dead, and which is why I think Jesus says, you know, Scripture says that he will uh, that he will die, but then he will rise again. Mm. I'm reminded of just how we talked about at the very beginning of this chapter, the very first verse where Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction. We talked, you know, who, who is this man? And, and ultimately it does point us forward to Christ. As Pilate said, behold the man. Well, Jeremiah is inviting us to behold the man here as well in what happened in his own life. We're seeing a picture, as you said, of, of what Jesus went through. And, and it's very easy, you know, in this section particularly to say, uh, to hear Jesus praying this. And I think you're, you're precisely right. I mean, we, we rightly associate Psalm 22 as Jesus' prayer from the cross. But I, I mean, it's, it's not hard to hear him praying Lamentations 3 either and, and just seeing 
how how it fits perfectly in the previous section you know the mercies being new every morning there's the lord recognizing that resurrection is going to come and again here i, I think you see the the same thing so that's such a, a wonderful trace through the scriptures to see how all these things are pointing us to, to christ's own death and resurrection as the fulfillment pastor Preuss, i, I want to get to the end of of this chapter as well in verses 61 through the end we we hear the it says, you've heard their taunts, O Lord, and now there's a, a prayer for the Lord to to judge, for him to to work against the enemies that have caused Jeremiah the, the hurt that he's received. What's being prayed, what's being said here at the end of the chapter? Yes. Uh, so you've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. That kind of reminds me of, uh, is it the proverb that says that uh, uh, the wicked plot uh, evil while still in their bed? Um, You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O, o Lord. Now, this is not just simply Jeremiah trying to curse those who uh, who persecuted him, uh, but this is Jeremiah showing confidence in the Lord's uh, justice and, uh, and, and his power to save. So <clears throat> those who have attacked him are those who are enemies of God. Why did Jeremiah get thrown into the cistern? Well, because he, he told them, he told the Jews and, and the rulers in Jerusalem what God told him to say. So, I mean, it's, it's like what Moses said to the people of Israel. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And it is what Jesus says to uh, his apostles. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who, hears, uh, who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So uh, Jeremiah, this isn't Jeremiah being proud or arrogant. This isn't even Jeremiah being vengeful. Uh, but rather, he's crying out to the Lord, Lord, uh, you know, carry out your justice and do what is right. Vindicate the word which you gave me to preach. And uh, Jesus indeed, or God indeed does this. Uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I think we uh, we uh, get really uncomfortable with Scripture when it goes from law to gospel, law to gospel. And, and because, you know, the gospel is that Jesus has saved us from our sins. So the gospel is not that we're not sinners, but rather that Jesus has saved us from our sins. Sometimes we get the idea that... Um, that our sins are—it's not our sins that are bad, but rather that uh, the law is bad. And you know, we do speak, and Luther will speak this way, and Scripture speaks this way, and we should speak this way—that we're saved from the law because the law does not save us. But that doesn't mean that the law is bad, and it also does not mean that those who break the law without repenting should not be punished. Uh, so Jeremiah is, uh, he is, he's not being explicit in talking about the salvation of God. It's very implicit, because he's talking about the destruction of God's enemies. 
But you have to think, well, what does the destruction of God's enemies mean? Well, it means that everything that he has proclaimed is going to prove true. Well, what has Jeremiah been talking about before this? He talks about the steadfast love of the Lord, enduring, and that uh, you know that the Lord does not delight in uh, and destroying, uh, that he is faithful, and that uh, he is merciful, and you know, great is your your faithfulness. So, I mean, the whole point of him preaching against the people of Jerusalem is that they were turning away from the God who rescued them from the land of Egypt and who promised them a savior and promised to forgive their sins. Instead, they were worshiping false gods and setting up idols uh, and uh, were hoping in other nations instead of the Lord. Uh, So these are people who have rejected the word of God, which means they've rejected the gospel. Uh, So it's kind of like in our Lutheran confessions where we have the anathemas, now, are these anathemas against individuals? Well, uh, yes, if these individuals are are advancing these false teachings and do not repent. Uh, but uh, what it is, it's an anathema against false teaching. And uh, so even the people who threw Jeremiah into a pit, if they would repent, can they be saved? Is Jeremiah preaching against their salvation? No, he's not preaching against their salvation. Uh, it's just like the, how the centurion who has Jesus nailed to a cross, but then he confesses him as God, right? You have how many of those who uh, who, uh, who repented and were baptized in Jerusalem those early days, uh, both on Pentecost and then when Peter uh, healed the cripple? Uh, how many of those were crying, crucify him, crucify him? Uh, and yet they're, they're, they're rescued. So Jeremiah isn't preaching against the gospel here, and he's not just preaching for his own personal vengeance, but he's preaching that God's word would be vindicated, and this is something, or he's praying that God's word would be vindicated, and this is something that we should all pray for. We want God's word to be proven true, uh, because ultimately that means that we're saved, that our salvation is true. Pastor Price, you have about four minutes left on the morning. Reflecting on the text as a whole, again, how how does this text uh, present Christ to us, and how do we make use of this as Christians in our lives still today? Well, I really liked what you brought up about verse uh, 41, where he says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven, and how that does connect with our Lutheran liturgy. Uh, Sometimes people think that the scriptures of the Old Testament are not helpful to New Testament Christians. That's just simply not true. And when you look through the New Testament, you see the Old Testament is, is uh, quoted all over the place. Jesus talks about how you know, the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Uh, you read through every, every Lutheran's favorite epistle, Romans or, or Galatians, whichever one, uh, you have St. Paul quoting scripture from the Old Testament throughout the whole thing. And I also think that we should be thinking about that with the book like Lamentations. Um, with people of, of Jerusalem less sinful than us, uh, have they, I mean, I already mentioned before with abortion and, and uh, the sexual morality of our nation, uh, the licentiousness, the overindulgence. I mean, 
I'm describing Sodom and Gomorrah, aren't I? But yet that's our nation. So can we pray lamentations? I think it would be a helpful exercise for Christians to do so. And as you do that, then when you get to a passage like, uh, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that a man, for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Uh, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. I mean, this is something that when you read all of these lamentations and this confession of sin, seeing how uh, Jeremiah teaches us how to examine ourselves, uh, passages like this are going to cheer the heart all the more. Uh, so I think that uh, it's, it's a healthy exercise for us to go through this. Uh, and then, of course, as we've already discussed, we see Jesus proclaimed everywhere. From Jeremiah weeping over Jerusalem, just as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, which means that we should weep for impenitence and we should repent of our sins. And then, of course, Jeremiah praying from the pit, and how this uh, you know, causes us to look at all these other scripture passages, but all the more toward Christ and how he was raised from, from the dead after suffering for our sins. Uh, so I think, this is, I think Lamentations is a neglected book for Christians and for Lutherans. And I think that what we've just studied today uh, shows that it is a good prayer book uh, for, for Christians and for Lutherans in the 21st century. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 to 66. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the Book of Lamentations, comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.